So this is episode 15 with <clears throat> actually my cousin. Um, again, very fortunate to have so many great people around me I can use to get onto this podcast. Um, on a side note, I have started my Twitter account, which I was telling you about. Sounds good. So I'm slowly trying to build that up to uh, reach out to strangers you know, not family members, um, and have them on this podcast. We were just talking about our granddad. Mm. Yeah, shared experiences, good mm. experiences. Actually, not shared. He didn't teach me how to shoot kind of fall. Different times. <laughs> this is obviously back in, back in the old country. Mm. Um, my experience was like a. Have you seen Godfather? Yes. Seen parts of Godfather. Wow. Yeah. You haven't seen Sopranos, now you haven't seen Godfather. Yeah, it's one of those. God. There's one scene where he's like an old man, the Mm. actual. I can't remember his name now. But then he takes his grandson, like, through the garden and he's showing him, like, he's playing with an orange, puts in his mouth, all of that shit. I have kind of a very similar experience to that. Where, do you remember Chateauds? Mm. Like the the mm. berry tree. Yeah. And I remember he would take those and pretend like he was bleeding. And I'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> Maybe we just had a messed up granddad. <laughs> That'd be good. No, nah, but it was, uh, yeah, it was great. But yeah, talking about that, also a second generation immigrant growing up in the UK. But you grew up in Manchester rather than London. Yeah. What was your experience going through that? So Manchester's unique. Um, it's not as diverse as London. I would start off with that. I think it depends on whereabouts you live. I think there's really good parts and really bad parts like anywhere. Um, less middle parts, probably. Um, I would say the school I went to was very white. Uh, so I would experience quite a lot of racism initially. Really? Yeah, so I think in London they don't really experience this because of the multicultural like nature yeah. of the city. So the school I went to, it was around I would say uh, 200, 205 kids in a year. Um, I would say probably those we had one guy who was black, and then we had probably around like seven to ten Asian guys. When I say Asian, I mean brown, um, and then probably like one or two. Like, I think we had two, one Chinese kid and then one Singaporean kid. So predominantly white. And then I would say, especially in the early years of schools, 14 years of seven and probably nine, mm-hmm. seven, nine and 10, something like that. And just high school, obviously. Um, it was, quite, you would really experience a kind of racism there. So I think I'd, learning to deal with that was quite unique because you wouldn't necessarily, you, know, you have to be in quite a, you, certain situation to even grasp how racism can affect you or how you can be singled out purely based off of like the color of your skin or where you're mm. from and for example if I were to give an example one of the things back then was um, there was a huge like, nuclear thing going on in Iran like the, you know, they were trying to figure out nuclear weapons and what, what are, not nuclear weapons sorry nuclear power mm. and then that was like the ongoing like I was like the nuke kid you know, which I actually thinking back is kind of funny, but in that moment in time, of the nuke kid, yeah, it's like you know, oh, you, this is a nuclear terrorist in a sense. So it was quite, it was quite unique that you have to kind of navigate how to even respond to yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that. You know, so I would say the main differences between Manchester and London, obviously, is not as multicultured. Um, I, I mean, I was lucky; I did go to a good school, went to a grammar school, like that. From the reasons why it was a bit more different. A bit more, like the, the ratios were a bit more, a bit less skewed. I would say. Um, I have to say, yeah. by the way, new kid is jokes. New kid, <laughs> that is jokes. <laughs> yeah, no. Thinking back, Jesus. that was uh, that was that was that was funny. But obviously, in the time, I was like, do I am I offended by this? <laughs> oh, I had I a very, to... I had a very different experience, man. Yeah, I think now it might be. Difference in name. Mm. My parents, they named all of us with double meaning names. So, you have um, 
you have Nikki, Nikki, Aaron, Aaron, Daniel, Daniel, Ryan, Ryan. Mm-hmm. So they're still English names, but they're still Iranian names at the same time. Mm-hmm. It was like trying to find best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. Whereas Cheyenne might be like, this is different. Do you think maybe if your name was Mark? Interesting story about that. One of the first days of this school that I joined. Mm. I changed schools a lot. I changed schools like probably I would say about ten times actually. Really? We changed schools times. a lot, yeah, we changed schools a lot. Wow. We were moving a lot. But then also it was difficult finding a good school too. This was prior to high school. High school, I stayed in the one primary school changed a lot. I remember one of the primary schools I went to, they were like, Oh, so what's your name? And I said, Oh, it's it's Shoyan. And they're like, Yeah, we can't have that. We'll call you Shane. Shane. Yeah. So then, hey. for for about two years prior to <laughs> prior to high school, my name was Shane, and it's funny because my email account, even now, one of the main email accounts I use is like Shane. Oh, wow. I, yeah, yeah. Because but I I created it back then, and then that was my name because they were like, we can't say your name, so yeah. we're gonna call you Shane. Um, you have a lot of Iranian dads coming over who do that with complete pride and confidence. Mm-hmm. Bro, he'll come over like Hamid. My dad is called Hamid. Mm-hmm. Surname Jokarin. His first name, he's changed it to Joe. Joe. <laughs> I was like, how do you even <laughs> get from Hamid to Joe? He was like, well, Jokarin. Yeah. Joe. Yeah. Like DJO. It kind of makes sense. <laughs> it makes zero sense, but kind of. <laughs> I'm like, uh. yeah. 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 It's kind of sad. I think as a kid, when you when you do that. It's showing you have two different worlds. Mm. And I spoke about this with, with Krosh in, in a different episode. Where we probably saw it as like a bit of a cool thing. Because we've got like a bunch of family friends. And then we have that world. And then we can also come back into this world. But because we have so many Iranians around us. Also going through the same experience. Maybe it's a bit more like, okay, cool, whatever. I don't know if you had that back in Manchester. Or if it was just you saying to these guys okay my name isn't what my name is I think I just remember it being quite difficult to navigate in that you don't really know what the right thing is Mm. Um, because we moved school so much it was difficult to kind of find a stable friendship group that you can kind of rely on in a sense so you have to you have to understand how the kids would act in that school mm-hmm. and then you kind of have to try to make you sh- make, make sure that you don't act too differently I'd probably say maybe the first uh, this is actually one of the first memories I have of London because first we came to London for about maybe know, a couple of months before we went to Manchester I remember I came to school back then I didn't know any English when I first came mm-hmm. I was very young I was like five six years old um, and then I remember I came into the school and there was one girl that spoke Persian. She would translate every now and then, right? The rest of the time, I don't, I don't know what the hell was going on. And like I remember, I was going to, I would go to the toilet, and then kids. I didn't know this, but it would be weird for the in the boys' toilets for the kid not to go to the urinal. If you're gonna go use the actual toilet, mm-hmm. people think you're going for a number two. Yeah. So then what would happen is, I'll just go to the toilet, I'm just, I'm just like, listen, I just need to go to the toilet, right? I'll go to the toilet and then kids will come and kick the door. Yeah, that's normal. Actually. Right? That's normal. In my I head, I'm like, that. who are these animals? <laughs> that they don't even let me go to the toilet in peace. So I think, instantly I was on, on the defense. Mm-hmm. I was like, listen, obviously I'm in a world where these guys are, they don't act with grace and compassion that I'm really used to in my environments. Like in Iran, I had a brief period where I was going to school and I think the, the way people would act with a lot of grace, compassion, respect, appreciation. Mm. Suddenly you're thrown into an environment where not only do you not speak the language, but you people just don't act like that. That's not their set standard. The mannerisms and the manners aren't necessarily the same. Not to say it's a bad thing, but it's just very different. So I think instantly you're on guard. So you're just like, okay, how can I, what can I do to not mm. stand out? Because even go something as simple as going to a toilet is different here. You know what I mean? You're hyper aware because it's not your first language as well. 
Yeah, it's only like first song. And I remember actually after that happened, I come out and I tried to go to the teacher. And I'm like, listen, these kids aren't letting me go to the toilet. And the teacher didn't understand a thing I was saying. And I was getting annoyed. I'm like, are you not going to do anything? Um, but yeah, no, I, don't. <laughs> I just remember that being fine. So to answer your question, um, it was just a little bit difficult in that I just, I couldn't glue the two together. Mm. So I was on guard. I was like, okay, let me just take a step back, see what these kids are doing first, be quiet, see what they do, and then just try to figure out from there. Actually, interesting segue. Do you think maybe that made you, like, double down on actually working? Because I can't, I now can't, like, socialise as well as the other kids, or I can't fit in as much as them. So let me just... No, I really wasn't a good student. No? I would say, no, I would say... I think, I remember this one thing that happened when I was a kid. I would come into the class, and we used to have music. I quite mm. enjoyed, we used to play that little Jamaican um, uh, steel drum thing. That's ding, yeah, ding, yeah. ding, 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 ding. And it had like different, and it had probably about like 16 different chords, 16 different like ways you can play it. We were in a little band. So I remember I would go to that, that would be about half an hour. And then I would come back. This would be two, two, three years ago. At this point, I had some grasp of English. Wait, so this wasn't like a music lesson? No, this wasn't a music They would take me out of ma- ma- maths, maths. I would go into this music, like band practice. And I would come mm. back about half an hour later. And I would say I would still finish the work probably 10 minutes quicker than the rest of the kids. So at that point, I'm like, okay, the people around me aren't that smart. Or maybe I'm different. Mm. I don't know. So I'm just like, well, what's the point in working hard when I can finish it in 10, 15 minutes? It's quite mm. easy. So then I don't, I don't really put much emphasis in studying. I would just do the tests. That kind of reminds me of Aaron, my younger brother. Where it would, like, it was normal for me. And I was actually a lot more advanced than the other kids in my school at maths. Especially algebra. Mm. Mm. fractions because I went to Kumon mm-hmm. this little tuition centre um, but they drill you like how to do the working outs really efficiently and then get the answer great but then you have to do a whole book sheet booklet like front and back about five six pages just full of equations and they get you really sharp and going quickly but you still like if you're doing two double digits times each other 85 times 76 you still did a quick working out but Aaron wouldn't even do the little carry the one drop the thing take it off from this one he wouldn't do any of that he would just it would take him about two seconds to figure out in his head and write the answer and I was like I started trying to explain to him listen that's going to trip you up down the line you're going to find it difficult you need to kind of do your working out so you can really track everything that's going on in your brain but I was wrong he was I mean he just got his A level results got an A in maths and he was just a lot smarter than I was he could he was capable of doing these things in his head even though I was really really quick and in school a lot faster than all the other kids like it would take them the lesson to finish the booklet it would probably take me 5-10 minutes Mm -hmm. no exaggeration Mm -hmm. and that was like that's me bragging right now because I wasn't like that with everything. Mm. Just fractions, algebra, you know, multiple numbers, times together. I was the shit. Everything else, not so much. But, yeah, I think that was the first kind of dose of reality where I was like, shit, this kid was is actually just a lot smarter. He's a lot smarter than I was. I was not capable of doing that, and he was. Um, do you think, maybe it's a nature of these nurture thing some kids just in certain aspects are a lot more intelligent than others maybe that's what you had maybe I think with anything you can have a certain amount of talent tailored for it mm. um, I remember there was this book I read do you know that? Do you know that there's like this mother-daughter psychiatrist duo who wrote the book on personality types, like EJQT. Do you know what? Do you know what I'm talking about? So in their book, I remember I read it at the university, and in their book they have this section on 
how some people can be tailored towards certain tasks. Mm. And they described it very well. They said it's like a family sitting in a car, like a standard nuclear family. Dad, mum, brother, sister, sister being the youngest, dad being the oldest. If the dad's sitting behind the car and he's driving, the car's going to go the furthest, the quickest, the most efficient. He's going to be the best driver. If the mum's sitting behind the car, then it's going to be still good. They're going to be able to get from A to B, not as good as the dad. If the, if the brother's sitting behind the wheel, they might be able to get past certain points, but it's going to be quite difficult. And if the daughter's sitting, it's going to be very, very difficult for them mm. to get from A to B. And I think that's the best way to, in my head, understand that. Like, certain people are just tailored towards certain tasks. Um, Sifting if, and sorting. Yeah. yeah. If you were to then put this... Not to say that if the boy wasn't to put certain amount of energy and effort into driving the car, he wouldn't be able to get from A to B, but he's just going to have to put much more energy into that. Um, so then at that point, it's a question of affinity. Do you have the affinity to be able to like, get really good at something? Or how, how, how easily do you get that affinity? Mm. So I think for me, it was just it was just easier to understand things. I could understand things. Once I understood something, I could apply it. And once I applied it, then it was easy. But then at that point, it was just, it, it would get to the point where I was like, okay, it's a bit, it was just a bit of effort now. Like, can I be bothered understanding it or should I go play some video games? Mm. You know what I mean? So that's why towards the end, I was like, okay, cool. It'll take me this much time to understand it. I understand it. Cool, I can do it now. Really? Yeah, once I understood something, then it was quite, from there, it was quite easy. I, I understand that I think the way I work it, I'm probably slower in understanding it mm. and so I need to do it over and over and over and over again but with with that repetition the resilience almost once I get it it's over with mm. like now I'm the, I can do it I'm, I'm great at it and because of that I think that makes me a very good teacher I found because I like to make complicated things or what's perceived as complicated simple because it's on a pedestal it's taken me so long to understand it and once I get it I have a very good way of making it seem simple mm. yeah. yeah yeah they say the the best um, the best way to learn something is a teacher mm. it's I studied sociology um, in A levels because I thought it would be an easy A level mm-hmm. kind of was mm. in comparison to maths or economics which I also did briefly um, but there was there was something very interesting I'm going to paraphrase it but there was one sociologist who like the way they were trying to create schools was similar to that approach it's called sifting and sorting like some kids are naturally very analytical like in favour of the STEM route, some kids are more tailored towards maybe more of a apprenticeship type of career. And they sort of just sift and sort kids into who's going to grammar schools, who's going to become the academics, and who's going into vocational and, you know, those fields. So it's, yeah, interesting to understand your perspective going through that. Because I, I probably, I don't know, I think I'm a little bit different to you mm. in that sense. But then again, I also found school very difficult, not because of um, your reasons. I think you were probably a little bit bored because it was easy. I was very bored. I couldn't focus on class. I, I was the same, but I was, I was, selling, I was selling snacks. <laughs> I did that as well. I was selling snacks in school. Yeah. Yeah. I was so bad at it though. Were you? <laughs> yeah, because I would get the snacks and I just wouldn't sell them at a profit. What? So basically, I would get it, but then I forget what, like how much I bought each snack for, and at that point, I was like, you know, I just, I just want to get rid of it. No. Yeah. So I think it, it, it wasn't as enticing as I would. I see other kids doing it. I was like, I'm gonna give it a go on board anyway. Might as well do something. But then I was just like, well, I didn't really see the point. So I was like, okay, well, how much am I actually really making? Is it worth the effort? Not really. I'm just gonna mm. go play RuneScape. RuneScape, yeah. Yeah. Listen, act in high school, in certain classes there was a whole economy going on Mm. there was a kid needed to break maybe a two pound coin so i may have had a pound coin but i had some i needed to sell two doritos in class get the change get the 50ps maybe break a pound into two 50ps 
maybe then I've got enough to break his two pound into whatever. Like we had a whole economy and ecosystem in this classroom. <laughs> I think that's the best part because my secondary school was quite rough. Mm. Um, I wasn't supposed to go there. I didn't even apply for it. Um, I didn't get into any of the other universities because my house was in the weirdest catchment area. It was sort of right in the middle of neither. Like I was perfectly placed where I wasn't in any of the catchment areas just about, mm-hmm. um, apart from the secondary school I went to. And that secondary school, I found out later on, were paid extra to take on difficult kids by the council. But that made for character development. Right? That made for very interesting experiences. Uh, and I think that suited me. It suited me heavily because it wasn't... I was probably a B grade student. I went into secondary school and by the end of it, I got a bunch of C's and maybe one B and one A. I'm incriminating evidence. My CV is probably all A stars. That <laughs> shit is a lie. I studied two days before the exam and got C's. But I took a lot of great experiences like selling in school, probably having to deal with a bunch of difficult kids. Mm. Like just living in that environment wasn't easy. Um, the reason why I think I should clarify we're going on so much about our experience in school secondary in particular is because you're a doctor right so I'm half interested to understand your mind how which now starting to make sense you find school extremely easy you can kind of cruise how do you then navigate to getting into medicine wanting to become a doctor so yeah so how did I why did I apply or why when did you know that I wanted to do yeah so funnily enough I didn't want to originally originally I wanted to be either a pilot or a lawyer that's that's where my mind was the reason I wanted to be a pilot was because I thought it would be fun cruising around and I was like I said I changed schools a lot so I was used to being in different environments consistently and that engaged my mind because when you second you change you have to understand a million things about the environment you're in in order to survive in that environment and I quite I felt like I was getting good at that concept of get into an environment thrive in that environment in a way it was a weird game for me as a kid so I thought that would be interesting because you're constantly flying about here and there but I remember I had this conversation with my mother and she was like well I don't want you to go down that route because you won't be able to maintain a healthy family as a pilot you're always flying around and she basically kind of convinced me otherwise would I do it now Uh, I don't know maybe maybe not I know definitely they don't earn as much and I think monetarily that'll be different can I just say this is very sensible conversations for a kid to come on and say I want to become a pilot and it's still like well let's think about the 401k let's think about tax implications (laughs) and are you there for your family like this is all good stuff yeah. I, I came home like, you know what? I'm going to become a professional footballer. Yeah. Why? I, of course, I like football, but yeah. I was more so like 200k a week. It makes sense. Like, <laughs> that's just what I'm going to do. And there was no backup. <laughs> and that probably hurt me. The older I got and the more I realized it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> Chances are so slim. Then it's like, well, there's no backup. Like, that's my dream. Yeah. I'm not going to become a professional athlete. What am I going to do? Like, Makes sense, I'm now in banking. So the money was clearly a big influence, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I guess money wasn't at the forefront of my mind, but the whole kind of, well, I, the whole family values at that point pointed out to me. I mean, now it's, I'm more aware of it. Um, and then law, because I thought it would, I like the fact that it was written down. Mm. If it's if something's written down, you can't really play around with it. But now I know that's really not the case. That's exactly what lawyers get paid to do, like to play around with things that's written down. So that would be interesting. Um, in the end, it was more of act. But see, I have the reason I tell everyone, and I have the actual reason in my mind. Which one do you want? It's a podcast. We're we're here for the real reason, man. The real reason. So, and the reason I actually stopped saying this was because I remember I said this in an interview once and the interviewer started yawning halfway through really and I thought this guy thinks I'm bullshit <laughs> so since then I just give the short shorter more concise what's the short which is one? The, 
it's, it's still true. I said it made sense. I was always good at sciences. I, I understood that when I understand mm. something, I can apply it, so it makes sense. I'm good with people. I feel like I'm good with, I enjoy communicating with people. I get bored if I'm just dealing with numbers or dealing with, um, you know, inanimate objects consistently. Mm. And then finally, I'm good with my hands. I like, did electronics as an extra GCSE, and I like made a game. And I was soldering soldering boards, and I was doing all this random stuff that I quite enjoyed. Therefore, and I was playing mm. the guitar. So it's something that cumulatively, the three of them together, it just made sense that actually dentistry is all of these things. It's also, I think, as an Iranian, you're an engineer. Everyone's an engineer. Yeah. I feel as though you're either a doctor or an engineer. Yeah. In a parent's mind, that's one or the other yeah. and your dad is an engineer right? both my mom and my dad my, my wow. mom's an electronic engineer I, I would see her soldering stuff away for wow. her uni when she was a kid and my, my dad's a gas engineer um, so, so they're both it. very uh, both, both quite good at that in the genes yes in the genes yeah you could say that yeah um, so that's pretty much what I say to everyone I guess the real reason that I started looking into it was weirdly enough my great grandma on my mum's side she was I, I she died before I was born, so I don't really I didn't really get to know her unfortunately, but I heard a lot about her, and I always appreciated the way she was talked about as such a kind, caring individual. Um, I heard how much she would wanted to meet me and how much she wanted. Kind of, we had one doctor in the family, but you know, the, the root of medicine and helping others. And then I remember thinking, in a weird way, I was kind of, kind of like, oh, I'll do it for great nan. I'll do it for great grandma. Mm. Yeah, and then I was like, okay, which, which aspects of medicine are there? There's this, there's that. Kind of put everything together and coupled with the other things that I mentioned. So there is some truth to the other one. It's just not the whole story. Um, dentistry, the doctor of the teeth or the mouth, or whatever you want to call it, seemed to make the most sense. See, it was a very calculated decision. It wasn't like, oh, I'm super passionate about this. I'm super passionate about The only thing I was really that passionate about at that point was video games. I really like video mm. games. But it, uh, it does sound like the first interview you have, you have an idea of really telling the story about my great-grandma. And, you know, this was the inspiration behind it. I can understand why the guy was probably like, yeah, this you're is, so foolish. Yeah, this is so, exactly. You're so foolish. Exactly. Yeah. He started going off the through and I'm like, okay, well. But <laughs> see, it's that thing that I mentioned earlier. you got to adapt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you got to understand you're in a new environment. You don't know the person that's in front of you. Yeah. you got to see what they want. Um, funnily enough, I didn't, that was for Leeds. I didn't get that. I got an interview, but I didn't get the place. So then I had to change my tactics slightly. I got the place of Queen Mary, which was my first choice. So it worked out. But yeah. Um, that's why yeah. that's the main reason why I did it looking back yeah. to my 13, 14, 15, maybe 15 year old self I'd say and it's great to hear that you actually got interviews to get into university as well yeah so I did I got Leeds I got Manchester I got, I got Queen Mary mm. these three places Queen Mary what's the best one in my opinion in terms of they want to know who you are as a person mm. It's also known as Boston, London. That's the medical and dental side. And I think I, I was quite lucky in that the people that were helping me, like showing me the right place and showing me around the university, etc. They put me in a really like fun mood. Mm. So I went. When I say fun, they were you know, cracking jokes. They were talking about like, what they're doing in university. They were saying, "Oh, you know." Ash is in second year and she's done this, and they were just like they they showed me what university life would be like. Mm not just the academic side and I saw that and I said I want to be surrounded by these type of real people smart people obviously but real people they have their books and stuff that's the standard but they're living lives and they're enjoying it and they're doing all this kind of cool stuff so I went into I went into the interview saying I'm going to get this in. I'm going to get this well, so I went in there weirdly enough the other two I was so nervous wasn't nervous. I was cracking jokes in the interview is it difficult to get into dentistry to, to study dentistry in the UK? So when I was, I actually think it was much less difficult when I applied. So back then it was one to 14. One to 14. So out of every 14 people that applied, one would get Oh, wow. Yeah. And then back then you needed three A's. Still back A-level. then. Now, it's much, in, from what I've heard, I don't know exactly what it is, that's still 10 years ago. 
fucking 10 years ago. That's crazy, right? Oof. 10 years ago. Um, now I've heard it's you need like two A stars and an A in some places. And then, you know, you, it's like one to 25 that get in because a lot of people aren't really applying for medicine as much. Dentistry is a much more lucrative sector. Um, it's much more better lifestyle in terms of the amount of like, time, the times you're going in and coming out. To get into the top universities or? To any. To any? To any. Surely they want to get doctors and then you don't want to have a shit doctor. Doctors I'm not entirely sure, but I know dentists back when I was applying, it was 1 to 14. Wow. It's harder to get into dentistry because there's less schools that do it. Now I think it's high, it's like 1 to 25. Shh. Yeah. Listen man, you got the brains in the family. I wouldn't say that. I should I should that. I tell you how I got into you? <laughs> Listen, man. First of all, the only course going yeah. on clearance was um, was uh, game production technology. That sounds really fun. It does, but I was a business student, <laughs> so I was like, "Well, this is the only way I'm getting in." Yeah. So I did that course, knowing full well I'm going to internally transfer onto my business course. Um, turn up thinking I've got a master plan I'm now at university so you're still paying 9k a year and then moving to a whole new city and all of that stuff so I don't know if I why I was so confident or sure I could do it but I was invested put it that way Um, and then yeah I just kind of rocked up to the administration office I told them the situation they're like cool you need to get signatures from both head of years is that what you call it head of head of the course so I got first signature he was like fair enough you don't want to do this while you're here that was easy the second one to move on to business was not easy I went I kind of um, set up a meeting I was watching a lot of suits at the time mm-hmm. I was deep in so I was had my negotiation hat on and I was thinking yeah yeah this is going to be yeah turned out it was a very good business school so he was like, there's a three-month waiting waiting list. What do you think you're doing? Like, mm. You're not just going to rock up. Um, Q about, I think I must have scheduled in like seven, eight meetings with this guy. At one point, giving fake names to the reception, hiding behind, like, yeah. Hiding behind, it was like a massive plant pot in, <laughs> our, in our building. I hid behind it. He kind of came out. Yeah, jumped out like, hey man, how's it going? This and that. I eventually got. That's cool, that's like really hustling, bro. I like it. I didn't have A levels, man. Yeah. So I, I did have a foundation year, important to know. Um, but yeah, I got to a point where I was like, what would you do in my situation? He was like, look, I think that's where he was like, go ask the admin office. And then I was like, cool, I did. They just said, you, you need to sign and they can let me on. It was already two and a half, three months in. Um, I'd actually gone to sociology. I'd approached the head of sociology with the same enthusiasm, and the guy was like, I would love to have you on. Mm. So I was like, what the fuck? Why is it so easy with this guy and so difficult with business? I turn up to my sociology lecture, and I realize I'm like the second guy in this entire course. It was just filled with chicks and me. So I was like, okay, he's probably looking for some sort of... He was also a guy, so maybe there was some sort of diversity angle. Um, but then, yeah, I eventually had this conversation with him where he was like, you're already three months late. You've missed important modules. One in particular where he messed up was he said an accounting module on Excel. Like, you need to know to get into second year. Um, and I was like, I've already done that in my foundation year. And I got first. And that sort of stumped him. I've seen him like six, seven times at this point. He's tired of seeing me. And then, yeah, I already had yeah, four years of funding. I already used my first my foundation year, so there was no choice. I had to get on. Um, I couldn't waste a year and then retake first year. So somehow he agreed that if I passed my first year sociology, he will let me on to second year business. And that's what he done. His name was Michael Hewitt, and he may have just saved my life mm. or changed the course of my life. Um, that was very... That was a, a massive shift in my life, I think. him so, Like, it was a lot of hustling at that point and trying to get into university. And, yeah, I think getting that little green light was, was a changing, changing point for me. 
big time. But yeah, no interviews, bro. Mm. <laughs> no one wanted to speak to me, man. But this is like you hustled, though. That's great. That's that's awesome. Yeah. But that that hustle factor is it's interesting because I remember I was so convinced that I wouldn't get in. Mm. I'm ninety percent convinced that I wouldn't get in. I remember I got a that summer where I was waiting for my results. I got a job selling. What was I selling? Like. Uh, insulation door to door and it was the most tough it's it's an awkward one isn't it no one really wants to hear you but i was still i actually did decent i remember but i just to keep my mind off of things and you kind of traveling all around manchester like knocking on doors hey did you know i would do all kinds of things like all the centers back to um yeah adapting to different environments i would see these people do it and i'm like i don't know if they're doing it that efficiently so I would get some glasses and fake glasses. So I put that on. I'm like, I feel like I look smarter. So people care more if you look like you know what you're talking about. Mm. So I'll get these glasses on. And then I remember I saw this video, YouTube, whatever. That these people would practice how to improve by recording the situations and scenarios, re-hearing them and adjusting it based on the recording. So every time I would do my pitch, I would record it and I would adjust it, record it, adjust it. Wow. Um, and then it got to the point where I was walking around with an iPad, I had my glasses on, and then at, at, a, at a certain point, and the final thing I figured out, which really helped, was people like um, uh, unique parts of the day. Because especially something you find in Manchester is everyone's like so used to routines. Mm. But if they've got a unique part of their day, it tends to be more memorable and appreciative. They, they want for that unique part to continue because it's just like a break in the boredom in a sense. So I developed an American accent. Not developed, but I put on an American accent. And I would walk around and I was like, Hello there, my name is, uh, my name is Cheyenne. I'm going to be wow. talking about uh, loft installation with you today. Do you have five minutes of time, sir? <laughs> And these people would care because it's like, well, this person's interesting. They got the glasses. You got an iPad. It looks yeah. legit. I had a little name tag. And I made. I remember the rookie class. Rookie class of like the 10, 15 people they hired for that summer. I remember, I did the most sales for that for the month and a half, and that actually paid for my freshers week. Really? <laughs> yeah. Freshers week was amazing. Probably one of the best couple of weeks of my life. I paid I mean, for that. It works that you're in such a great profession, but if you ever. It doesn't work out. There are too many doctors. You can always go back into sales. Right? <laughs> go back into sales. Yeah, that's one way to do it. Um, but uh, no, the point I was trying to make is I was I went to Denmark to visit some family from my mum's side. Now on the way back, I was sitting next to this woman, and this woman kind of like mentioned to me the importance of hustle mentality because her son always wants to be a pilot, mm. and that resonated with me. And she was saying how he tried. 10, 15 different avenues and he wasn't able to get in but that didn't stop him. He ended up going for the 16th, 17th, 18th, 20th avenue. And he hustled so much that he eventually got there. Going on. Hey, how are you Yeah, you're good. You. Sorry, I had my, uh, my housemate walk in. A little bit. Yeah, did not expect that. But yeah, you were on, you were on a flight. Mm-hmm. We were talking about hustle culture. Mm-hmm. Mm. Sorry. You literally had a chocolate, so <laughs> She was telling me how her son tried 15 times before he was able to finally get the, the role that he wanted or get his opportunity. And maybe that resonated with me because I wanted to be a pilot at some point, I don't know. But that in itself always stuck with me mm. always stuck with me in any ever since I heard that story in any situation since where something's really difficult I'm like the worst thing I can do is not try so you have to do there's no such a thing as it's not possible and it's possible you just have to try every single thing that you can mm. if it takes one month two months three months four months ten months whatever until you do it, until you get there. Um, that's weird because it was just one conversation on a flight back to England that equally had such a huge impact on my life and the way I viewed things. It's a moment of, uh, moment of grace. Mm-hmm. 
But I think that also comes with having a strong goal, like your desire to become a doctor or get into this field and you knowing that's definitely what I'm after, yeah. then I think no matter how many tries it takes, like that's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. I think not having the clarity on your goal makes it very difficult to have that resilience to keep going. I don't know, I'm, I'm sort of thinking about my own journey. I may not have had a clear final destination like okay I want to get into finance because I never knew I wanted to get into finance Um, but getting onto that business course and getting my degree in business I knew that would open the door to either going into property or whatever maybe I wasn't specifically thinking about finance but I knew it kind of it's generic and it keeps all the doors open and I didn't want to shut that door Um, so yeah uh, that's, that's interesting to hear. Mm. Yeah. Um, but yeah. You you get into university, mm-hmm. or skip past the freshers and the first year and have it. Fun. That was a lot of fun. You got fun. to a stage where you were doing a year at work. If I understand that correctly, is that how it works in medicine? Yeah. So you finish, you finish dental school, and then straight after you have to do one year of school vocational training. Mm-hmm. Or essentially, you work under a supervisor if you want to work within the NHS. And the the way the system works is the health education, the HEE is called it. I don't know what the second E is for. But essentially, a, a portion of the governing body under the NHS, they pay the practice for you to work in that practice and garner experience. Mm-hmm. And then after that, if you pass that year, and there's a lot of reflecting that you need to do, and a lot of growth. Then you can work in the NHS and get what's called a performer number, which means you can see patients on the NHS. So you have to do that. So then in that instance, I think at that point I was in London for five years and I didn't really like the trajectory that I was heading in. Um, I think London can do two things. Either you can meet a lot of interesting and lovely people, you can broaden your horizons and you can, you can kind of find yourself see who you are, or you can lose yourself. And I think at, towards the end of my dental school, I was, I was more towards the end of losing myself. So I made the decision to leave London for a year and to go out of the went to Essex. Essex is very good for notorious for um, cosmetics. Mm. I was interested in the cosmetic side of dentistry. I was very lucky that I managed to get a place working under a prosthodontist, which is a specialist in kind of the um, more complex aspects of dentistry in terms of fixing stuff. Essentially, Prospo is the making of things in a lab and Dontix is dentistry. Um, so I was working under him for a year and that was probably the toughest year I had in terms of work. Very, very full-on character. Very difficult to deal with. He was very good at what he did, which in my mind, I made it okay, but the, the communication, the lack of respect, the, the lack of, the, the kind of um, undignified way of you know, bringing you down. I mean, in a sense, it's strange because in our culture, we're, we're taught to have quite a lot of confidence in the way that our parents bring us up, and the Persian ego is infamous mm. across the world, but I can honestly say this man just bashed that ego to pieces, and that the way that... They would see, he would see that and he would just try to destroy it. And maybe he had some fun in it. I don't quite understand it myself. Maybe he was generally trying to make me grow. I don't, I don't know till now. But I know the way he did it, he approached it from quite a tough angle. And equally from my end, like that ego always said, you still have to finish it. You, know, you don't complain, you just keep moving forward. So I think I grew a lot in terms of my dentistry, but the ego definitely took a hit because if you're told you're not good at something every day for a year, eventually you start to believe in it. But it also made me work very hard. Um, yeah, so that, that year itself was a very difficult year. Did you know this beforehand? Did you know this was a tough guy, tough environment? Was it, I just want to leave London, so that was kind of a big influence for that decision? Or was there any sort of idea who you're going to work for, maybe interview beforehand? Just luck of the draw. Luck of the draw. There was a system in which you would pick what you would want like you you, you rank them 
I ranked that that practice, I knew there was a prosthodontist working there, I knew it was a fairly developed practice in that it was more up-to-date, more digital. Um, these are things that I wanted to learn how to use, so that's why I, I specifically chose that. Yeah, but I, I wasn't aware of the character behind it. Hmm. What was interesting was actually I found out later that the person in the year prior to me, they quit. Four months in, they left. Four months is a tricky, tricky time. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a make or break in my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they left. I only, I only figured that out once I'd started. So for, and I said to myself at that point, okay, cool, obviously this is quite a difficult person to deal with. Just put your head down, get your work done, do the year, learn as much as you can, and then leave. I think, and it's interesting because I was having a conversation with a colleague of mine who's actually going through something very similar and they're training right now. They feel like they're being bombarded and harassed to a certain extent by the educational supervisor. That's what they're called. Um, And they said, oh, you know, what would you do? And I kind of said to them, there's two ways you can approach it. Either you can kind of suppress your ego and put your head down and do the best you can and grow and learn. And you do grow and learn at a much faster pace because you put in an environment in which I would be waking up at 5 a.m. in the morning studying my patients for the day because this man would like randomly for no reason knock down the door be like what do you do tell me exactly what you're doing and it was like it was like a very military-esque vibe mm. you know what are you doing this this is this like, at any point in time I had to be perfectly prepared to come up with the perfect answer at all times constantly be on edge like that makes you naturally want to know everything that you're doing so i had to wake up i would wake up at 5 a.m read on all my patients go work throughout the day come home and just knock out at around probably 8 p.m 8 30. did that rinse and repeat for about a year very difficult that that sounds like building blocks foundations yeah yeah but equally i would say it was the foundations for that then allowed me to propel much faster than my fellow colleagues at the same stage. Much faster. For example, getting back into London was quite difficult, I remember. Like, for, I would finish work and I wouldn't be able to get to the interview in time because it was like an hour and a half out Chelmsford, it was about an hour and a half outside London, depending on where you are. But number one, no one was really hiring in the central London area for someone who's only got a year's experience. So I had to go towards the outskirts, maybe zone two or three the outskirts so in two or three and even then convincing them you know you have to take little like pay cuts here and there convincing them oh you know a new dentist coming in they don't know what your work is like convincing them to take you almost quite difficult I would have to almost beg by the practice manager so I can leave two hours earlier so I can make the interview and funnily enough the first break I ever made the first uh, job I ever got in London I was late to the interview by 15-20 minutes because of the because I had to book back-to-back interviews mm. and I got I, uh, the train took longer it was delayed or whatever and they were about to leave and I just caught them look I'm so sorry it's my fault I mean I've traveled a very long way to come and meet you guys today can you please just spare an extra 15 minutes for us to do this interview da, da, da. and then um, when I left the interview, I, I remember I said to them, oh, you know, you, you won't regret picking me as a candidate. I won't let you guys down. I work very hard, look at my references, X, Y, Z. And I was very lucky that they ended up picking me and that was my first job. Yeah, But even getting that job, that was a lot of effort and a lot mm. of pressure. Breaking in. Pressure. I think breaking in is, is the hardest. Yeah. I'm I'm at the stage now where it feels as though I need to move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm dealing with a bit of comfort. Mm-hmm. Like I'm in a good role, good company. I have two years under my belt. It's almost like now you're kind of cruising. It's still difficult, but it's like, uh, I can see why people don't make a jump and don't want to challenge themselves again and end up sort of staying as is and yeah. So, but it's a good position to be in. I think when you when you don't have that level of comfort, it's you've got nothing to lose. You have nothing to sit back and rely on. Yeah. So it's almost like I've got to I've got to keep 
taking free throws until I, I hit one. I gotta keep going. And I, I don't think that mentality translates as much when you're already in a company and you're already getting paid every month. And I think, yeah, yeah. A big part of starting this podcast is actually to continue challenging myself. Mm. And to also, I think, now I'm realizing the more people I talk to, especially, you know, people who've accomplished quite a lot, I see, like, I can recognize it's the constant challenge and, like, the next thing, how to pick yourself up, take on the next thing. So this is me kind of thinking out loud right now, but, um, yeah, I'm a little bit fired up from, from hearing that. 100%. Life is problem-solving. Mm. I mean, he, the, what, as bad as he was in terms of the negative effects he had, he definitely gave me some good... Um, good life lessons this is the prosthodontist the specialist I was working under for a year I mean, he, he always used to say listen like life is problem solving the better you can problem solve the better you are in life um, where you find yourself problem solving less that means you're just getting comfortable mm. so Tough. it's getting that skill that's probably in my mind the most transferable skill that you can have in any career orientated position being able to problem solve understanding being able to dissect a problem understanding all the qualities of it and creating about five different ways to solve the problem and understanding the most efficient way to do it picking mm -hmm. the most efficient and when I say the most efficient I always see if that wasn't working on to the second if that wasn't working on to the third and it relays back to the thing I, I mentioned with that woman who I was on the flight with. So he did, he did it 15 different times until he managed to get it. Mm. <laughs> so if you always, in my mind, whenever I have a problem, I always think of, okay, dissect it, understand it, create five pathways to fix the problem. Which one's the quickest way to do it? That one, start with that. 80% of the time, the first one works. 20% it doesn't, you go on to the second. And the better you get at problem solving, the higher the percentage of the first most efficient one working is. In my experience. And at that point, life generally starts to get easier. And then you can relax. I think... <clears throat> I think this is a... Uh, I, I mean, this is like translated through what you were telling me about. How you found school. And how you were learning. And I think you've developed into now thinking, you know, that philosophy of how you got through school is almost translated with how you resolve problems. I can kind of see how your mind now breaks down an issue and you see it very analytical and almost the quickest way. Whereas, yeah, it's interesting to me because I think the way I... I'm learning from this as well, but I, I probably approach problems different. I've come across some problems whereas I haven't chosen them. You've sort of been faced with them, and I think I've learned from that. Sometimes is there's no other option. You've got to make the one and only option work. So I think that brings a level of resilience, and it's like, keep going until it works. Mm. But then that can also take you down a very dark path where you've got to create you've got to create some level of hope, some level of faith, something to keep you resilient. Mm -hmm. Maybe some something to delude you to keep going. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. I think it, these methods differ depending on what the problem is. Yeah, I mean, it can get very tedious. There's times where the first one doesn't work, the second one doesn't work, the third one doesn't work, the fourth one doesn't work, you're at your final one, and then you're like, now I've got to reevaluate the whole thing, maybe I've misunderstood the problem. Mm. If there's five different ones, then you need to re reassess the board. Um, it's quite, at that point it starts getting tough, but also the way it works in my mind is, when you, when you do that, when you go through the process that I just explained, and then the first five, the first five solutions that you, the, the pathways to solutions that you create don't work, 
then that's when you're growing. Because you, you find yourself in uncharted territory. So then the issue is, what do you do when you're constantly, where everything that you're doing constantly works? Then you're not being challenged as much. Which I, I actually found myself in that position probably around a year ago, a year and a half ago. Where I was in this practice for two years. And we were growing the practice or investing money into it. So we were growing it whilst we were investing money and things worked really well. And we, you know, we were, I was constantly doing more and more complicated treatments. And it got to the point where everyone was coming to me asking questions, how to do this, how to do that. I was helping them. But then I remember the latter six, the last like six to eight months, it was just quite easy. Mm. I wouldn't even look at my patient list before. Pr- previously, I would wake up at 5 a.m. to just do everything. Uh, do assess everything in the in the day to be the most efficient but then I was like I didn't even need to do that anymore just go in do the work go home go and do it don't even think about it anymore and then I joined this new practice recently and then I have to I have to go through everything on a daily basis prior because it's so complex mm. the first 20 things I come up with doesn't work <laughs> and then that's how I know I'm growing because now it's not to that degree anymore now I'm just I'm much quicker I'm much more efficient and I'm probably in about five, six months, six to 12 months, I'll find myself where I was with the other practice two years mm. ago. So in a way, if you find that the common pathways to solutions or the way you have make solutions aren't working, you have to find yourself thinking a different way, that's when you're probably growing the most. Wow. Wow, you're also, I wanna talk about unlocking levels. I mean, you're at a doctorate level, like you're a doctor in this profession you're at a very, very high level already, just still challenging yourself, finding the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, going deeper and deeper down dentistry. I mean, no doubt you're already very successful in my eyes. I know in the future there's a lot more to come. But how's your relationship with being a beginner, starting something new? Mm. Does it, is it difficult being such a professional in one field that now starting as a complete amateur in another becomes almost it's conflicting mm-hmm. and it's tough you're the guy in this in this field and now you're yeah does that get to you at all is it challenging to start something new yeah um i think when you put so much time and effort into something and you garner a certain level of confidence in it. It's very difficult to start something from scratch because you say to yourself, well, am I technically wasting all the time that I've put into the other thing? So why not only get better at that? So if I were to give an example, when I think about five, about, no, about three years ago, three, four years ago, I told myself that by the age of 28, I want to finish my postgraduate degree and I want to be working in like what I would see as one of the best practices in London doing private dentistry. And the only reason I could see myself doing that is if I mastered the field, mm. right? And then I was like, okay, cool. How do you master the field? Look at the books. What do the books say? Spend 10,000 hours on it. Okay, cool. How do you spend 10,000 hours? Um, go back and do the hardest dental exam you can find. What's the hardest dental exam in the world? The international uh, board exam examinations of America. Okay, fine. Mm. Spend a year, year and a half studying eight plus hours on the days that you're off whilst doing your postgraduate degree. So basically, in a weird way, I was like, I'm, I don't have the energy or the patience to wait until I'm good at something. I want to I get as good as... as good as I can as fast as I can by this age but then now the issue that I have is okay fine you got yourself here now then what's next okay what are the transferable skills from everything that you've learned till now okay fair enough it's a very specialist field mm. it's quite difficult the problem solving things I can definitely use the way I problem solve the situations in a clinical setting whether or not you, you see it your ability to strategize and think so far ahead into, and also have the patience, resilience, and keep working for years to get a, become a doctor in this profession, work for how, however long you have, put yourself through all these difficult environments and situations to now be here and now, like, what's next? 
is that's next level, man. Not a lot of people can do that. Mm. I think it's very hard for people to even strategize about going through a three-year basic degree. Let me do this for three years. How many people quit after a year, year and a half? First, first few months into first year, mm. it's too tough. I'm away from home. I feel homesick. Nothing against those people, but you know, it takes a it takes a lot to be able to strategize over seven, eight years create this sort of master plan which I feel like now you're at the upper end of that and now it's yeah reevaluating the next 10 years which is gonna be very very exciting it's very tough it's very I've set myself another task and to be honest I don't know if I'm gonna be shooting myself for even saying what the task is I'll hold you accountable Go that's it. the problem <laughs> that's yeah. what I'm worried about so I said my I said to myself by the age of 33 Mm. I'm gonna have a private jet. Private jet. Yeah. Thirty-three. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. I don't know what it is exactly about that age, but I tell you why. I'll tell you the reasoning behind it. It's not just like I like the concept of having a private jet. Yeah, fair enough. It sounds good. My issue is, I'm very impatient. Patience is, and I, I lack it. I really? don't have it. I'm very. Yeah, mm. it bothers me. It annoys me having to wait for things. I'm the queue for things. It's the biggest time waster in my head. I like to be able to go from one area to the other easily, quickly. Just get from A to B, get it sorted, mm. get to the next place. I like to be moving constantly. The whole drama I said initially I wanted to be a pilot because of this reason. But now I'm like, why don't I just pay someone to fly you around instead? So I would like to be able to travel to any part of the world within an hour's notice. Mm. If need be. But then with, I think with how expensive it is, I'm now thinking in a business sense, if you, in the future, is it in your plans to start your own practice? So yeah, then the next question, then the next question I asked after that is, dentistry alone isn't going to be able to give you that. Oh, okay. Or if it is, there's a scalability issue. So, for example, at the moment, I'm limited by the amount of time I put into the business because mm. I need to be there to see the patient. And the amount of time that you have in a day isn't scalable. You're limited to X amount. And then you're also bound by burnout. Um, you don't have access to um, a world marketplace. You have access to only local mm. people. Unless you get so good that people travel from across the world. But even then, you're limited by um, time still. So then I investigated that and I'm like, okay, cool, what else can I do? I can diverge into um, products because products are scalable. Factories are scalable. Mm -hmm. Selling is to a world marketplace is scalable. So I got in contact with a manufacturer in China for a contact. They manufacture dental equipment. Um, started the process of hiring some people in Iran in order to start an export-import business. So I think... At the back of my head, I'm, again, it's the same thing that I do. I, I, I see what I want and then I try to understand the problems mm. that it takes to get to there. And then I try to, and this is a conversation I've had with Daniel to a great deal, actually, in terms of how we even approach this. We both went to Iran, actually, funnily enough, with both the idea of setting up some businesses there. Yeah. And I've been kind of bound here, but he, he's been making leaps, which is very motivating for me because it's going to make me to want to continue doing what I'm doing now. Um, but the point I'm trying to make is it's, uh, I'm trying to figure out what the next step is in order to be able to reach that but it's tough it's five years it's a lot of money feels like a macro patience micro speed and I I like the fact that you're working towards that and I think you should but then I think it gets a lot more exciting if you forget the jet but kind of keep it there theoretically even if you make the jet fuck it like 40 but then you keep working as though it's 33 and it's not about the jet it's you building this thing now you want to go into export import and keep having that mindset because I like the fact that it's fast tracking the way you're thinking and it's making you think a lot bigger I think that's the advantage of it but I don't want it to be like once you're sitting in the jet it's like ah oh, yeah this is yes got there I think you've got to be addicted to the process mm. of getting to that. And I really, Which I think yeah. is, is in you. Like, I can already see that. 
and, and I do agree with that because I remember five years ago when I set the goal that I set now, which not common I've been able to reach, I told myself by the age of 20, I'll be driving an Aston Martin. And I don't. I drive mm. a Tesla. But then I, equally, it's not that I can't afford it. It's just that now it just would make no sense at all. In my head, it's like the dumbest thing to do to get a big combustion engine in the middle yeah. of London to pay all that charge and all that tax and all that, whereas you could be putting it into a business, etc. So I completely agree with you. Like you set these goals and then in the future you might not get exactly what you want, but even if you were to get in a portion of it, it's still aim for the stars, land on the moon kind of thing. Mm. Um, yeah, I love that actually. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So that's, I mean, I did not anticipate the future being like that. I think we've gone from one <laughs> to a thousand. But <laughs> I like that. Because one to a thousand, I know you, you've got the steps in between right now you may be on about one to about 150 and that 150 to a thousand is still gray area but mm. it's almost as though you're driving in fog you can only go the first 10 meters before you can see the next 10 meters mm. so it's yeah still one brick at time one step at a time but it's yeah i'm still trying to balance that how to have a grand vision and then still you know micro speed macro patience right mm. but yeah yeah, no, that's inspired me actually. Yeah, well, the next thing for me is a car. You know, I've got my license now, so. Mm, exciting. Yeah. We'll go to the showroom together. Yeah, literally. <laughs> um, yeah, man, I think, I think we've touched on everything. And I think more importantly, the reason I've done this podcast, great to speak to all these amazing people, but also it's a unique thing for me because would we have had this conversation otherwise you know we meet up we chill out but it's good to just on a Wednesday afternoon like I'd love to do this instead of being on my phone mm-hmm. scrolling to bullshit for two hours yeah and also imagine catching on to I think I've used this example before but fuck it I'll do it again imagine catching on to Richard Branson before he became Richard Branson understanding his mindset what he was going through at that young age so it's all good and well interviewing him after he's built everything but wouldn't it be amazing to interview him beforehand wouldn't it be hopefully amazing to still do this in five years time yeah. when you're a lot further along let's do it again in five years and then I think the ultimate see if goal, I've got the jet or maybe a bike I don't know I think the ultimate <laughs> goal for me instead of the jet would be for us to both be on the other side mm. jets parked outside mm-hmm. and we're then having another podcast talking about do you remember the first time we did it where we were what we were doing Mm. I think that's going to be just a little bit of sweet, yeah. no, that's going to sweeten the deal that's going to be sweet we'll do it on the jet yeah yes yeah. there you go <laughs> appreciate you taking the time man. of course man. thank, thank you. you man